This episode of the Locked on Giants podcast is brought to you in part by Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKED15 to get 15% off your next order. You are Locked on Giants, your daily New York Giants podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, New York Giant fans, and welcome to another edition of Locked On Giants, part of the Locked On Podcast family, your team every day. I am Patricia Trena, happy to be with you on this Monday as we start a brand new week, but more importantly, in the NFL calendar, in the NFL world, we start phase three of the off-season program. This is the phase that includes the OTAs. It'll include the mandatory minicamp, which is coming up next month. And uh, the Giants, as far as I know, they are allowing media access into some of the OTAs, starting with one this week. I think it's on Thursday. Um, the media will have access. I don't know just yet how much they're going to do or what they're going to be able to do since, you know, obviously some players have decided not to take part in the OTAs or any of the voluntary part of the uh, NFL offseason calendar. But, you know, we'll just take it as it comes and obviously bring you whatever news and observations and whatnot that we get to see. But what I wanted to do today is kind of do a little preview of the OTAs, even though, again, um, the media will not be allowed into the OTAs until later in the week. And I think we only have access to two of the eight OTAs that I believe are scheduled, but still, I want to focus on the offense in this segment. And um, I've been giving it a lot of thought, you know, the Giants have poured a lot of uh, resources into the offense, which they really needed to do. I think we can all agree, 31st ranked scoring offense last year, and uh, just a lot of room for improvement. The, the receiver's not making very many big plays. Daniel Jones struggling behind an inconsistent and developing offensive line. Just so many things on the field that didn't go right for the New York Giants that they really needed to address. And I think which they have addressed in the offseason, adding Kenny Galladay, adding Kyle Rudolph, Kadarius Toney, getting back a healthy Saquon Barkley, fingers crossed, um, year two of the offense, year two of the offensive line, which is still, you know, needs to be settled, especially on the right side there. But um, the Giants personnel looks like it's headed in the right direction. So that brings me to the point that I don't think is being discussed enough when we're talking about the Giants offense and the steps that that unit needs to make to improve. And that is offensive coordinator Jason Garrett. Now, to be fair to Jason Garrett last year, when he lost Saquon Barkley after five quarters of play, I would not be stunned if a good chunk of the Giants' playbook went down the drain. You know, because Saquon Barkley, as we all know, he's so versatile. There's so many things that they can do with him. And when they lost him to a torn ACL, pretty much I think they lost a good chunk of the playbook. We also know that the Giants last year, they were in the first year of the offensive system, as they were the, the first year of the new defensive system. Um, but uh, the Giants just, 
you know, without having a off season to speak of, to get on the field and actually run through the, these schemes without really having a preseason to polish stuff up. There were some problems. There were some things that just, you know, you watched the offense last year and, and you just, it was very hard not to say, you know, not to wonder, hey, Jason, what are you doing? You know, because it just looked like it lacked imagination. And, you know, Jason Garrett, it, it just looked like he was trying to stay afloat basically with what he had, because, you know, people say to me, oh, well, you know, the defense went through the same challenges as the offense. They didn't have a offseason. They didn't have a preseason, but the defense still played well. Well, yeah, the defense really didn't suffer a major injury like, you know, the Giants did on offense with Saquon Barkley. They also, um, the offense also was without Daniel Jones for a couple of games uh, due to the, the hamstring and the high ankle sprain. So that was a factor. The defense, you know, they, uh, other than really, um, you know, Xavier McKinney breaking his foot, and he was a guy that they hadn't really folded into the mix at that point. The defense didn't have those problems. So a little bit different scenario uh, for, for or set of circumstances, I should say, for each unit. But let me get back to the offense here, since that's what this segment is about. So Jason Garrett, I, I just wonder if, you know, losing Saquon Barkley, if the uncertainty about the offensive line, which remember... Also, they were counting on Nate Solder being the left tackle, and then he, you know, opted out due to COVID concerns. Um, then they had to throw in uh, Andrew Thomas, who I believe was working uh, to, to play right tackle. And now all of a sudden he had to go and he had to flip back to the left side. Um, you also had the the, the problems with um, the left guard with Will Hernandez coming down with uh, COVID, which kind of threw that into a mix, you know, into a, a bit of a mix. You had uh, a new center with Nick Gates, who, although he played well, you know, there was still a learning curve there. Uh, so you just had a lot going on on the offensive side of the ball. You also had, obviously, the coaching situation on the offensive line with Mark Colombo, um, unfortunately falling out of favor with head coach Joe Judge, and then Dave DiGuglielmo coming in and, you know, totally different coach, totally different coaching style and all that stuff. So just a lot of things happened last year that you could say upset the apple cart on the offensive side of the ball. Now, with all that said, it's not an excuse. You know, I'm just putting that out there because, you know, look, if we're going to be fair and we're going to break this down, we do have to mention all these different scenarios and things that happen that you can make an argument affected the offense's progress. So let's look ahead to this year. All right. Now, hopefully when we get to the OTAs, we'll be able to see some of the formations and some of the things that Jason Garrett is looking to do. He won't have Saquon Barkley um, in the offseason. I don't think Saquon Barkley is going to be uh, cleared until, hopefully he'll be cleared for training camp, but the Giants have not put a time frame on that. But hopefully, you know, you'll you'll see some of the formations, especially how are they going to use Kadarius Tony? How are they going to uh, utilize Kenny Galladay? Um, we won't see Kyle Rudolph. He's recovering from foot surgery. But, you know, certainly in training camp, we'll see that. But um, these are all things we want to see. 
And especially, you know, the thing that I want to see is, you know, as a coach, you can't always expect to have all your players there. You're going to have guys that are going to get injured. And you have to adapt accordingly. You know, coaches always say next man up and, and oh, this guy, should, you know, we have confidence in this guy to, to step in for that guy. And I think that's one of the biggest um, lies, if you will, that coaches feed the public because no two players are the same. That said, if you're the Giants, what you want to be looking to do is get down the timing and some of the formations and the technical aspects of the playbook, maybe open that playbook a little bit more with the new talent that you have. Um, now, what I found very interesting as well as very telling is that the Giants added to their offensive coaching staff. So Jason Garrett, um, he still remains the offensive coordinator. But they added uh, Freddie Kitchens, who last year was the tight ends coach. He is now a uh, senior offensive assistant, I believe. Um, Russ Calloway was added as a um, as a quality control coach, as was Nick Williams, who I believe is a newcomer to the staff. And they also have Jody Wright added to the staff. So they have basically they have um, one, two, three. They have four guys that aren't specifically tied into a, to a position on the offense, but who are offensive-minded coaches and who are going to contribute to the offensive creativity, the game plan. You know, head coach Joe Judge wanting to get some more cooks into the kitchen to, to brush up on the recipe that last year just simply lacked flavor. So that's going to be worth watching to see how that dynamic comes together and how they change up the offense, which again, 31st ranked scoring offense last year showed no creativity and just no feel for, for doing things with, with the players that they did have playing to their strengths. I mean, how many times did we see the short stick route options being run? I mean, something that, that tight end Evan Ingram, for example, just doesn't run well. So. Joe Judge get getting some more um, cooks into the kitchen to to hopefully fix all that up and make the offense a little bit more potent. And then you know, getting back to the offensive line, we also have to mention the fact that they have additional resources that have been thrown to help that unit come along. You've got Pat Flaherty who was added as a consultant. Pat Flaherty, as everybody knows, was Tom Coughlin's offensive line coach. Worked with that that great offensive line that took the field for the Giants in 2007 to 2010. So he's going to be playing a big part. Um, and, and as I mentioned, you know, the other coaches, uh, Nick Williams, Jody Wright, um, Freddie Kitchens, and so on and so forth. So a lot of resources being put to the offensive side of the ball, which really right now is the big question mark. And um, I'm curious to see how it all comes together. I'm curious to see the dynamics of the coaching staff, how they all work together. I'm curious to see what kind of different plays they're going to run, even though they're not going to have their full slate of players here in the offseason. Um, but still, we can see formations, hopefully, drill work, um, just how the dynamics is going to work. And uh, that should be fun to watch during the OTAs and, of course, the upcoming mandatory minicamp. All right, coming up, I want to talk about Daniel Jones in particular um, and uh, things that I think Daniel Jones needs to 
show in order to take that next step that the team is expecting from him. But first, I want to tell you about Credit Karma Money, which is a brand new checking account where you can win cash reimbursements for making purchases. Use your Credit Karma Money debit card to become eligible to win daily instant karma purchase reimbursements on items up to $5,000. Open your free FDIC insured spend account today. And there's no minimum balance requirements, no overdraft fees, and free withdrawals from a network of over 50,000 ATMs. Visit creditkarma.com slash winmoney to open your free account. Instant Karma is sponsored by Credit Karma. There's no purchase necessary. Exclusions and terms apply. See rules for details. Banking services provided by MV Bank Incorporated member FDIC. Maximum balance and transfer limits apply. All right. Now, I want to turn the discussion over to an article I wrote for Giants Country. And the article uh, is five areas where I feel Daniel Jones needs to improve the most in 2021. Now, before I get into the area that I think he needs to improve, let me just say that Daniel Jones, towards the second half of last season, did start to show improvement. He cut down on some of the mistakes. He uh, was better with the ball security for the most part. You know, it wasn't, you know, there were actually a couple games where I think he went and he didn't turn the ball over. So that was progress. He was making the throws. He was making reads a little bit quicker than he had been. And I think a big part of that had to do with him starting to get comfortable in Jason Garrett's offensive system. Also, As Daniel Jones healed from his lower body injuries, you know, the hamstring and the high ankle sprain, which absolutely, I think, put a major crimp in his game, you know, he just started to to just look more natural, more at ease with the offense. That said, there's still plenty of room to grow, plenty of room to improve. And in this segment, we're going to talk about five areas where I feel he can take that next step forward in his development. Okay, so here are the five things that I want to see Daniel Jones do much, much better in 2021. Number one, expedite his decision-making. Now, I mentioned toward the end of last season, he got better at that. He was able to make his reads, make a decision where to go with the ball, and get the ball out of his hands. But in looking at his entire season, and I'm using pro football focus uh, raw data here as a basis, Jones averaged 2.71 seconds to throw the ball last year, which was slightly less than his career average of 2.77 seconds. Now, to kind of put that into perspective for you, ideally, you want your offensive line to not have to hold a block for longer than 2.5 seconds, anything over 2.5 seconds, and you're asking for trouble. There can be, you know, pressures, sacks, whatever. Now, what I found interesting about Daniel's average last season is that it was the same as Aaron Rodgers of Green Bay, which basically tied them both for the 13th longest average time to throw amongst quarterbacks who took 50% of their team's drop back. But the difference between Rodgers and Jones, obviously, is that 
Rogers gets through his reads a little bit quicker, and if need be, he can buy some time with his feet. So the 2.71 seconds, that could be part of Rogers scrambling around, whereas Jones, who also scrambles around, um, he was kind of limited there at the end with the, uh, with the, the two injuries that he had, the hamstring and the high ankle sprain. But you know, the other difference there is that Rogers in moving around often made the right decision where to go with the ball, whereas Jones would either miss his target or just not throw the ball to the right spot. He totally would miss, for example, a receiver who was wide open. And it was frustrating to watch. So you just, when you watch Daniel Jones, you just say to yourself, okay, the, his internal clock has to get in sync. And I just didn't feel like it was in sync last year where, you know, he would release the ball maybe a little bit too early or a little bit too late and the ball would end up behind or in front of a receiver. And there was just too many guys that he missed that I think he could have hit with a better throw. And, you know, just between making the reads and trying to decide where to go and whatnot, I I just felt that that was an area that that Jones needs to continue to develop. And, and he will, he will. Um, the more reps he gets, the more comfortable he gets in this offense, all that's going to come together for him. No doubt about that. So we'll see if, uh, if in year three, some of that hesitancy uh, tends to go away. All right. The second area that I feel Daniel Jones absolutely needs to improve, and this was a problem, not just last year, but in his rookie season, his feel for the pocket. How many times, folks, did we see Daniel Jones drop back and he's standing there and he's looking, looking, looking for a receiver. And meanwhile, his protection's breaking down around him and the defender gets free and boom, he gets hit from behind. Or, you know, a defender comes in and knocks the ball away. You've got to be able to hear footsteps in those instances. Now, I'm not saying, you know, when I say hear footsteps, I'm not saying, oh my God, you know, you drop back and now... I better move because I hear footsteps that aren't there. But you have to have a feel for when the pressure is coming up on you. And it just seemed like so many times Daniel Jones was just oblivious to that. And he has taken, as a result of that, a few more hits than he probably needs to have taken at this point in his career. And that's what worries me about him is that he's already missed four games in two seasons, two games per piece. And, you know, Look, I wasn't expecting this kid to come in and be an Ironman like Eli Manning, because that's a rare. You just don't see that every year with every quarterback. But there's a degree of being smart, a degree of knowing what your surroundings are and not being oblivious as you're so staring intently down the field. And I don't think Daniel Jones last year was really consistent in that regard. Okay, next thing, learn to see another day or in this case, another down, another series or whatnot. Daniel Jones is a competitor. And I love that about him. I think we all do. But there comes a time when you just have to say, okay, instead of going eight yards, I'm only going to get seven. So I'll, I'll take seven yards rather than try to force a ball into a tight window and risk uh, that ball getting turned over. Daniel didn't always do that last year. And I know that was a sticking point. That was something Jason Garrett himself said he was working with Daniel Jones to to learn, to adjust to. I know Jerry Shaplinsky, the quarterback's coach, spoke about that as well. 
Daniel got a little bit better in that regard, but you know, there's that competitive nature in him, that competitive streak in which he just, you know, the temptation was there to, okay, you know, look, maybe if I wait a split second, it almost reminded me of someone who, you know, who's a procrastinator, you know, it's like, okay, you know, I have a big book report due tomorrow. Well, I'll wait until 10 o'clock the night before to start it. And then 10 o'clock comes, ah, I can go another half hour. I'll wait until 1030 to start it. And then pretty soon you're waiting, 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 and then you run out of time. Then you end up having to rush it. And it's not as good as it could have been had you started earlier. So that's kind of what Daniel Jones is, you know, tendency to wait and wait and wait reminded me of. Um, And sometimes it was disastrous for the Giants. Sometimes it paid off for them. And I'd like to see him just, you know, really do that on every play because, you know, as we know in football, plays don't always go off the way they are drawn up on the chalkboard. Something's going to break down. Something's going to change. You've got to be able to adapt and adjust. And you also have to know when to say when. And that was a, a problem that Daniel Jones had last year. So fingers crossed that he gets that fixed. All right, up next, accuracy. All right, now, in 2020, Daniel Jones finished with an accuracy rate of 62.5%, which was actually better than his 61.9% rate that he had as a rookie. Now, taking a closer look at that number, there's still some work to be done there. And this these stats actually come from Pro Football Focus's 2021 quarterback annual. So what they did was they broke down where Jones's passes went and what his accuracy rate was. So for example, 55% of his throws hit receivers in the breadbasket. 55, actually 55.5%, I'm sorry. So if you're putting the, if you're a quarterback and you're throwing the ball right where it should be, which is right in between a receiver's numbers, you should have, I would think, at least a 60% uh, accuracy rate there. So that's an area that I would like to see Daniel Jones improve. And I'm sure that's one that the Giants would like to see him improve. Now, to be fair to him, that stat does not take into account drop passes or, you know, balls that were batted away, you know, because the defense made a, a great play on the ball. But still, you want to see that number uh, increase. You want to see it closer to 60%, if not over 60%, because look, that was a common number. You know, when I say common number, the better NFL quarterbacks last year, the top tier, were hitting their receivers in the breadbasket on well over 60% of their pass attempts. Daniel Jones needs to get there. All right. So that will come with practice. Obviously, um, the Giants do a drill where they have a big net and the net has like uh, taped circles. Like some of them are taped in blue. Some of them are in red and yellow. And the quarterbacks have to hit those targets. And if they can hit the target and the ball goes through the target and into the net, that helps with improving accuracy. So I would expect to see Jones and all the quarterbacks, for that matter, doing a lot of those drills this summer. All right, final stat that I would like to see Daniel Jones approve is his red zone production. Now, before you say, 
hey, he had garbage receivers who weren't making plays or, you know, guys were injured. He didn't have Saquon Barkley. Here's the story, guys. Jones, as we know, he threw 11 touchdown passes last season. Half of what he produced, I'm sorry, less than half of what he produced in 2019 as a rookie. And his red zone uh, passer rating dropped from 99.7 in 2019 to 75.8 in 2020, according to Pro Football Focus's 2021 quarterback annual. This is with basically the same cast of characters he had in 2019. The lone exception being Evan Ingram. All right. Evan Ingram missed, I think, eight games in 2019, but he was available for the entire 2020 season. Now, yes, Daniel Jones has never had all of his uh, offensive cash weapons available to him for every single game. You know, he, he did have all of his guys available to him for five quarters of play last year. So I get that. You take that into consideration. But you just, you had, um, you know, Sterling Shepard was on the field for him for a little bit. Um, Golden Tate, Darius Slayton, who had the big rookie year, but who kind of dropped off a little bit in year two. Um, Evan Ingram, as I mentioned. And yet Jones's red zone production fell and fell significantly. Now, how much was that was, was due to the new system? Well, that's a valid question. I don't know the answer to that, to be honest with you. Um, but what I do know is that Jones, who reduced his interceptions from his rookie season from year one to year two, going from 12 to 10, threw more interceptions in the red zone in year two, 4.6% of his 2020 total than he did in his rookie season when I don't think he threw any interceptions in the red zone. So that obviously needs to improve. I mean, we're talking the league's 31st ranked red zone offense if that doesn't need to improve, then folks, I don't know what to tell you because that stat was just glaring. It just jumped out at me. So hopefully uh, they can get that straightened out. All right, folks. So coming up, I have a few more thoughts about the Giants, the offense, the OTAs coming up. But first, I've got to tell you about Built Bar. Built Bar has nine amazing flavors plus the occasional limited time flavor. Eating a delicious Bilt Bar is like eating a candy bar minus the guilt, as most of their milk chocolate covered bars have 17 grams of protein, about 130 calories, and only 4 grams of sugar. Indulging in a low carb, low sugar treat never tasted so good. And right now, when you order at BiltBar.com, you can save 15% when you use the promo code LOCKED15. That's LOCKED and one five. Visit BuiltBar.com today, enter the promo code LOCKED15, and put your customized box together. They have nut and nut-free varieties, so that's BuiltBar.com, promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off your next order. All right, folks, so now let's turn to a few remaining thoughts I have about the Giants offense, things that I'm going to be looking at during the OTAs for which the media is granted access, and of course, during the uh, June minicamp, the mandatory minicamp in which the entire team is expected to be on hand for and 
boy, it's going to be so great to finally be back out there, be, be watching um, the mini camps and and whatnot. I, I miss that stuff. I mean, the Giants had a rookie mini camp, as you guys know, earlier in the month, but that was more of a coaching clinic. There really wasn't a whole lot to get to glean from that. Hopefully, the uh, the mandatory mini camp will will be able to come away with a lot more conclusions. And you know, I expect to be there, and I expect to be able to report on that for you here on the Locked On Giants podcast, as well as over on Giants Country. All right, I want to get back to now uh, talking about a few more thoughts about the Giants offense and things that I'm curious about and how I see certain things playing out. And I've got to start with the offensive line because this is a question I get a lot when I do mailbags over on Giants Country, um, when I do mailbags here on the Locked on Giants podcast, which by the way, I know we have to do. So we will get that in. Maybe, you know, get those questions into me and maybe we'll get those done later in the week. But anyway, um, the question I get a lot is who's going to start at left guard? Who's going to start at right guard? This is just a guess at my part, on my part. But my guess is that you're going to see Shane Lemieux as the leading contender at left guard. And Will Hernandez is going to be the one that gets moved over to right guard. Now, I have said, if you've listened to me on this podcast, I've said that simply switching sides is not an automatic, meaning that you just don't go from left guard to right guard without doing a ton of drill work, without, you know, getting a bunch of reps. These are all things that I think Will Hernandez has been working on in the offseason. I mentioned at the top of the program that, you know, Hernandez had COVID last year. So I have no idea how that affected him, but I would hope that if it did affect him, that he is completely healthy, raring to go, um, poised to have a huge year because, you know, he's, he struggled. It's not all been his fault. You know, there's been circumstances around him that I think have kept him from realizing the potential that I think a lot of people thought he had. But, um, you know, this is a big year for him. It's a contract year, and it's an opportunity for him to really spread his wings a little bit and show versatility in playing right guard, you know, after being a career left guard. So the reason why I think Will Hernandez is going to make that switch is because I think the Giants, um, they feel that Shane Lemieux kind of settled in at left guard, you know, and he's also a younger player. So he kind of settled in at that left guard spot. And I'm not so sure, at least I don't get the impression that they want to move him. Hernandez, though, you know, he has that power and that strength. And if if you go back and you look at the sides that the Giants usually run to, a lot of their runs go to the right side. And Will Hernandez is a big, powerful, strong guard who can really blow a guy out of the hole. I mean, when he's working in a phone booth going straight ahead, he can absolutely destroy a defender lined up in front of him. And I just get the impression, and, and this is just, you know, me reading the tea leaves here, that in an ideal scenario, Hernandez goes to right guard while Lemieux stays at left guard. Now, I know people are like, okay, well, what about Lemieux's pass protection problems from last year? 
Well, guys, that's why they're going through the off-season program now. That's why they train. You know, you like to think that problems of last year aren't going to necessarily carry over from year to year. I realize sometimes they do, but, you know, Shea Lemieux, I think, is going to get better. So I'm not as concerned about him playing uh, this year and his pass protection as I might have been as him doing it as a rookie. So um, I'm looking forward to seeing how those guys play out at left guard and right guard. But I think that's going to be the alignment we're going to see. Okay, right tackle. Um, Pro Football Focus, interestingly, they put together a list of uh, starting lineups for all 32 NFL teams, and they had Nate Solder penciled in as the starting right tackle. I don't think Nate Solder is going to be the starting right tackle. I think he's going to be the swing tackle. I think the Giants really would like for Matt Parrott, the second-year pro, to be their starting right tackle. And I think Matt Paird is probably going to be the incumbent once they get on the field and they start doing 11 on 11. With Solder, again, he took last year off. You know, he opted out because of COVID concerns. He is coming back. I want to see what kind of shape he's in. All right. Because, you know, I I mentioned this, I know, on previous pods that uh, in having seen Solder do television interviews, he looked like he lost some muscle mass. Now, I'm sure he's been working out to add that back, you know, get back into football shape and all that good stuff. So I want to see how the year away from the game has affected him, if at all. Maybe it hasn't. Maybe, you know, it gave him an opportunity to heal up from any injuries he was nursing, and maybe he's going to be that much better. We shall see on that. So, my guess is, like I said, I think Matt Parrott will be the uh, starting right tackle and Nate Solder will be the swing tackle. Now, if Parrott obviously doesn't do well, then you're going to see the flip. You're going to see Solder in there as a starter. But right now, I think it's just too soon to to write Parrott off as the, as the starting right tackle. All right, running backs. Saquon Barkley, as I mentioned will not be cleared in time for, you know, the OTAs and, and uh, you know, the mandatory minicamp. He's still rehabbing. I don't think we're going to see him at all. What we will see is we will see um, Corey Clement. We'll see Devonta Booker. We'll see maybe a little bit of Gary Brightwell. Um, I'm curious to see Booker because I think in the coming year, once Saquon is fully cleared to return, you're going to see Booker take on maybe a few more snaps than you would ordinarily see the number two back behind Saquon take. And that's because, remember, Saquon, when he does return, he will have been gone from the game for over a year or almost a year. And you just don't put the guy in there, you know, after being missing from the game because of injury for over a year. You're, you're asking for trouble, I think, if you ask him to go from zero to 100. So I could see Booker handling the third down duties. Um, I could see Clement also competing for that spot, you know, because, again, I think it's going to be a competition between the two. But my guess is Booker is going to be the the main man, and you're going to see more of a of a, a committee type of role there, I think, at running back, because 
The thing with Saquon is he's so talented and he's so good. And there's a temptation to have him out there on every play, use him as a decoy, basically run him ragged. Well, if you want to have this guy around for a number of years, I think there has to be um, a, a happy medium, a, a, a number that you find in terms of how many snaps you give him so that you don't run this guy ragged. I mean, the days of the of, of the quote-unquote workhorse or bell cow running back, you just don't find them as much in the league anymore. And there's a reason for that because running backs get beaten up. They get beaten up out there. So, you know, if you want Saquon, who is much more than a running back, I mean, this is a guy who can obviously be a threat out of the backfield for you, um, a red zone threat. You, you, you want to have him available. So I, I think it would behoove them to actually cut it back a little bit on his reps, get Devonta Booker, or if it's Corey Clement or Gary Byfield, whoever it is, get them a little bit more involved so that Saquon doesn't have to carry the load all by his lonesome. This way you'll get more out of him, I think, and he'll be even more effective. All right, so that's my take on running back. Uh, tight end, I mentioned that I don't think Kyle Rudolph is going to be ready to go, but it's interesting because the Giants have a bunch of tight ends on their 90-man roster, the latest of which is Kelvin Benjamin. Now, Kelvin Benjamin, I'm going to be honest, folks, I'm not so sure I see him making the roster as a tight end. You know, the biggest task or challenge for Kelvin Benjamin as a tight end is going to be learning how to block in line. And, you know, I had this conversation with Nick Filato on a show last week. I, I just don't think that Benjamin is going to to get there, you know, in the span of one summer. I think Benjamin is on this roster for one of two reasons. Number one, if the practice squad rules are going to be the same as they were last year, well, now that affords the Giants the opportunity and the luxury to carry him if they want to do so. But more so, I think it's an opportunity for Benjamin to put together some fresh tape for the other 31 teams around the league so that if he really does want to go ahead and uh, continue his his career, now teams are looking at updated tape as opposed to tape from 2018 when he was kind of, you know, struggling to find his way after his injury. So that's what I see happening there. And then finally, let's talk about receiver, specifically what's going to happen at the slot receiver. Now, I thought... When the Giants cut uh, Golden Tate, that Sterling Shepard was going to move back to the slot, end of story. Then, of course, the Giants go and they draft Kadarius Toney, who played a lot of his snaps in the slot. The thing to remember about Sterling Shepard, who, by the way, is still a very good slot receiver, and who I do think we're going to see in the slot, is that he has missed parts of the last two seasons with injuries. He is also in the final year of his contract in which he is due guaranteed money. He signed for another two years, but this is the last year in which he's getting guaranteed money. My guess with Shepard is he's going to play in the slot, but not on a full-time basis. I think they're going to rotate him with Tony in the slot. I think you're going to see some snaps with Tony on the outside. So basically, you know, it's a matter of coming up with some creative 
alignments which take best advantage of of the matchups and i don't think it's like the old days where you know automatically sterling shepherd was your slot guy and you rarely saw him on on the outside you're not going to see that i don't think with this offense moving forward but of course you know creativity is the name of the game and you know let's hope that with the off season jason garrett and uh the rest of the offensive coaches have come up with some fresh ideas that are going to have us not only going wow but result in scoring result in points and light up that scoreboard that i can't stress that enough because look Averaging 19 point, actually, it's, I think it was 17.1 points per game. It's not going to cut it, not in today's NFL, and not with some of these opponents that the Giants are facing on their 2021 schedule. All right, folks, that's going to do it for this edition of the Locked on Giants podcast. Always appreciate you tuning in. Be sure to check out the daily Locked on Today podcast hosted by Peter Bukowski and featuring all the major sports news you need in under 20 minutes. The Locked on Today podcast is available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, folks, have a great one. We'll talk to you again tomorrow.